This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 182. It is a Tuesday night, September 27th. We are powered by Laco Fine Wood Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service. Growing from a one-man shop to a team of 23 professionals who share the founder's passion for quality craftsmanship and customer satisfaction. If you're interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue in Berry Hill. Or you can call them at 615-356-0303 or check them out at their website, alacofinewoodfloors.com. Alaco Finewood Floors, serving Middle Tennessee's hardwood flooring needs since 1995. All right, well, let's uh let's 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 kind of intro this and kind of tell the listeners what we're going to talk about because yes, this is technically the Alabama recap, but you know, let's face it, there's not a whole lot to get to from that game. We we do have we do have our three takeaways. Uh, we're not going to go uh, quarter by quarter analysis, uh, so uh, we're not going to do that. But we do have our three key takeaways. And will I like how you put it here in the script? Almost halfway through the season, where can this team improve? This is going to be more of a state of the union address for Vanderbilt football heading into the bye week, and we will dive into kind of you know we'll put ourselves in, in in the coach's office in that locker room and, and say all right. What, what does this team need to do? So it'll be more of that than an Alabama recap, and I think people uh, would be happy to hear that. Yeah. You said beforehand, maybe don't title this episode the Alabama recap. Maybe title it the midterm progress report or something yes. like that for the season. Because I, I don't think this game necessarily tells you anything uh, about this team in the broader terms. I think there were individual plays and individual players and matchups won throughout that game that maybe you could take some things away uh, from this game. But overall, we said before this season started and leading up to this Alabama game that this three-week stretch or three-game stretch is there's the bye week halfway through here uh, before the Ole Miss game, that you can't let that change your perception of this team going in to this three-game stretch because you're three and one, you've beaten the teams you're supposed to, you had an okay showing against Wake Forest that just barely lost to Clemson in overtime and kind of gut-wrenching mm-hmm. fashion as they kind of came back there. So obviously a very good team in Wake Forest. So don't take two of your next three games being against two of the top four teams in the country 
and and let that shape how you're feeling about the state of the program because just take a step back and remember how it felt before the beatdown that Vanderbilt football took 55 to three against Alabama last Saturday. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. You know, it's not like we were surprised by this going into this game, even before this season, you know, we expected going into this season, Alabama and Georgia, those are the games where you just got to kind of throw everything out and, and you really can't analyze those two games the way you do every other game. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at this game and more so project ahead to this season for this team and say, Hey, where are the areas? Where, where are the areas that, that we both think this team has to improve to get that SEC win? Because we've seen, Will, South Carolina is beatable. Missouri is beatable. And I know Florida, they look really good against Tennessee. I still think Vandy has a shot there, a, an outside shot of, of competing in that game. So we'll, we'll go through that, kind of project ahead a little bit. Before we do that, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at your underscore report and Instagram dot report like us on facebook subscribe to our youtube channel our podcast is available on anchor itunes spotify and google podcast and while you're at it give our podcast five stars and review on itunes all right let's get to the alabama recap another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615 615- Three five six zero three zero three, Alaco Fine Wood Floors, craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's. Uh, I, I do. I know. You know, after this game, yes, you know, there's not a whole lot to get to in terms of you know what we saw on the field. Um, I, I know in that first quarter, uh, especially offensively, you know, we, we saw that Vanderbilt offense do some things, uh, a couple things. That, uh, you know, watching the game as, as a Vanderbilt person, you're saying, uh-oh, you know, I mean, it, you know, we didn't even really expect this. Uh, you saw the fade there to Shepard uh, down that, that right side. That was really, it was really only sign of life uh, in that first half. And, and then in the second half, they didn't, I mean, that was the longest pass play, I think, uh, Will, if I'm not mistaken. Real quick, Will, just kind of your initial thoughts. How surprised were you? Uh, buy anything you saw, uh, because I, I, you know, I know from my perspective, I really wasn't. Um, but I know from Clark, I'll say this: I know from Clark Lee's perspective, and I and I heard him say this in the press conference, giving getting to fifty five. I know he doesn't look at the score and say, "Oh, you know, we, we didn't want them to get to 50. But I know they he he believes they should not have given up that last touchdown. I know that's you know that's a not not the biggest deal, at least from the outside, but I do think there were things in this game that Clark Lee said, you know, we didn't play well. I know, you know, from a fan's perspective, you don't expect to go and win this game, but Clark Lee and in that locker room, they believe they could have played better. And, and you know, there were moments, well, I mean, that, that you look at and say, hey, maybe they could have scored a touchdown. Maybe they, you know, maybe they could have made a stop here or there. So, uh, but real quick here, and kind of initial thoughts and kind of the, you know, were you surprised by anything you saw? No. Not at all. I think we were both a little optimistic in our in our projections of how this game was going to go and what we expected offensively. 
I think we were both very realistic defensively. I think what what was your score prediction? Uh, I think mine was, was fifty-two to seventeen. I think mine was forty-eight to fourteen. So offensively, they were way off, but defensively, yeah. I mean, we, I we mean, knew we Alabama just was expected. Score. I I think I think that the defense did about exactly what I expected. Early yeah. on, they yeah. were able to actually get a stop on the first drive of the game, but then later on, obviously, they broke down. Just the depth wore down on the line. The secondary doesn't have the depth. So defensively, almost exactly what I think, man, you both expected. Offensively, I think we expected a little more. I I think that's the point that this Vanderbilt team was at, is we expected a little bit of the momentum from the NIU game, from that second half, to translate. And to an extent, it did. They had one good drive against Alabama, and they and I guess I'll get to this early, Billy. I've just got to get to it. It's been eating away at me. But the SEC Network stat, they got points early <laughs> to take away the stupid stat of, what, 5,495 days yeah, since Vanderbilt I, had scored points against Alabama. I so looked they, at that, and off, I, was, I was surprised, too. I was like, first they, off, they, the they initial, don't ever play each other. The initial stat, first off, was without – it was scoreless. It was zero points. So then they edited the stat to say touchdowns. But also, they not one time mentioned that that was two games since 2007, which is the last time Vanderbilt scored, was 2007. But they'd only played two times. And one of those was in 2016 against Tua Tagovailoa. So that is the part of SEC Network. That is what I am talking about of, yes, Vanderbilt has done some things, whatever – but that part of the broadcast, the disrespect shown towards Vanderbilt, I'll say, if you, since you posed the question, surprising, no, Billy, including the disrespect to Vanderbilt on that broadcast. Yeah, that that felt like a stat, you know, kind of a joke towards Jordan Rogers almost. And you saw him, you know, and Vander, Vanderbilt people everywhere. You saw him kind of marking it out on the telestrator. It just mm-hmm. felt like a, a, a I don't joke. know. I don't know I mean, what he they, said they, during they, that time. I'd long, I'd long. So Jordan Rogers, the... I was actually watching still. And, and you know, he was like, uh, he kept drawing over it so that nobody could see it. So no, no I uh, saw that. I saw it. I just had the audio oh, turned off. Because well, I, I mean, couldn't, it, I couldn't listen. It was classic Jordan Rogers. You know, oh, we don't want to see that. You know, no, no one, no one cares about that. I appreciate know, that I, Jordan. Yeah. I appreciate that. Jordan, Jordan, giving some fight to, to the Vanny fans there, but Salute. Uh, but no, well, that's what it felt like. I mean, you know, they probably felt the audience was uh, was. I, I get it. I get it's and, an inside joke. I get all of that. I get all of it. But it was flashed before the game as well. It was shown in the pregame stuff, and it's just okay. That's oh, an was awesome it really? Stat. Was it was it flashed? Before yeah, the game this as well? was. That's no. That's why I said that it was shown beforehand as zero points total. Okay, I I, I only saw it. Then they the changed okay. it. They changed it halfway through the game whenever what you're talking about Jordan Rogers coloring over it okay to yeah, no touchdowns because they hit the field goal so that's when it really started bothering me and I was like I feel like they haven't played that many times because I also had somebody text me and she was like no that stat was just mean haha and I was like okay I gotta dig into this now I've, I've got to get a response if I'm getting individual text messages about it I could hear your anger through your tweet. I mean, it was it was so obvious. Because I love stats. I love stats, but that also makes me very cognizant of the fact of how easily they are manipulated yes. when it comes to these matchup stats. Because I stats. bet 
I bet there are a lot of teams that have gone two games throughout the last 20 years against Alabama in a row yeah, without I mean, scoring let's, a touchdown. Let's, let's I would be willing to gamble games. that quite a few have Let's done look that. at the last two Mizzou-Alabama games, or <laughs> literally half of the SEC. You could probably say the same thing there, Will. But, uh, but no, real quick, kind of some of the box score notes that, you know, there's not too much to note. Uh, Swan was 13 to 26, 115 yards, no interceptions. So he, he took care of the ball, Will. There, he, he had pressure on him se- several times, and but he, you know, instead of kind of throwing it up or, or throwing it out of bounds, he, he kind of went to the ground and said, "Okay, I'm going to take the sack here." So I thought, you know, that I'll get to that in, in one of my key takeaways. Uh, Rocco Griffin, uh, three carries for 19 yards. Uh, Will Shepard, three catches, 52 yards. And uh, yeah, the longest was that 22-yard catch early in the game. That was really the only sign of, of any sort of life offensively for Vanderbilt. Will that first. Uh, I think it was that first offensive drive. I mean, you saw that that fade route. And, and second, second offensive second, drive. Second, second offensive. It was drive. the second one. Yep. Um, so yeah. Because remember, the first drive. offensive drive, Billy was the was the very fun wildcat play that we all oh, agreed yeah, yeah, with yeah. so heavily on the third and one. Yeah. So uh, that was there was another. There was another. I think this might have been fourth and one. Will uh, where AJ Swan was in the gun, and you know I'm hearing people on Twitter say throw Mike Wright in there. It's like that's a that's a read aj swan can make a read and and fake it and run the football i mean it, it, and he could have gotten that but it was just a bad read i mean uh, it, that's that's really i don't think throwing mike Wright in there would have would have solved that much i mean it's 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 every quarterback knows how to make a read now i think it is different if if you've got a quarterback back there that literally can't run i mean but it's swan swan can run and he, he, he could have made that play so i don't know i don't think that's on on the coaching and, and not having mike Wright in the game um but yeah, well, so so let's get to our three key takeaways. Like I said, the box score, game recap. That's there's just not a whole lot to get to, um, you know, from from the surface. And I've got all these sounds. All right, did you hear that? Did you you didn't hear that? Okay, I had a video plan on yesterday. I don't hear okay. anything. Okay, all right, no. we'll edit that out. <laughs> cool. So, well, let's uh, let's let's go ahead and get to those three key takeaways. And um, I, I'll start here. I'll go first. And I just mentioned it. AJ Swan's poise. And and yeah, I think watching this game, you know, he didn't throw any touchdowns, but he also didn't make any mistakes. He did. You know, I think it, this the score could have been worse. Say AJ Swan fumbles on, on a sack. You know, careless with the football. Say he tries to force a throw. You didn't see any forced throws. Uh, you know, saw a lot of incompletions, but you didn't see any interceptions. So and and I think going back and looking at this game as a whole, he played the whole game, and and I I think that I think that you know in the moment it's like oh if you're AJ Swan you know that's it's a tough tough place to learn in Tuscaloosa on the road against Alabama, um, but you got to do it, and I think the staff good on them credit to them for for keeping him in the game the entire time because I I mean you got to believe the kid learned a lot I mean you're playing against the one of the best defenses in the country you're going up against. Uh, a Heisman Trophy finalist on the edge there, Will Anderson. And, you know, you didn't turn the ball over. Yeah, you, you know, you didn't play particularly great offensively, uh, but you also weren't protected well really at all uh, the entire night. Um, so, well, first kind of taking the game as a whole, separating it offensively and, and then going to Swan, I thought he showed poise. I thought he showed some maturity that, you know, mo- most people I think from the outside wouldn't expect from a freshman quarterback, especially if they haven't been watching Vanderbilt. But for us, you know, I wasn't surprised. I know I think a lot of people that, that watch this, this program closely and, and people within the program aren't surprised uh, really anymore by what they, they, they see from A.J. Swan. So 
So, you know, I don't know this, this, this isn't really a positive, but, but I, I think it, you know, when you look at the game, I think you look at his poise and say, okay, he, he didn't hurt you offensively. You know, when, when he's getting pressured, you know, he kind of just, you know, he goes down, doesn't try to force anything. So for me, Will, number one is A.J. Swan's poise kind of, you know, in a vacuum of, of that game offensively. Yeah, my my keys are going to be a little bit different. So my my keys in the preview were were very directly related to the game on purpose versus saying like broader reaching moral victories. They were actual keys to victory. So my takeaways are going to do the opposite. My takeaways are going to kind of be broader reaching storylines that I think we are going to hear throughout the rest of the year and and things that that are really going to take away and and actually impact the remainder of the season. So the first one is going to be the fun topic that I think is already brewing just a little bit with the first not great performance you've seen from AJ Swan, which is the whispers for Mike Wright to see the field and or there are going to be people calling for Mike Wright to be the quarterback. So just to address that as my number one key takeaway, if you are calling for Mike Wright to take a significant number of stat of snaps for this Vanderbilt team, just go ahead unfollow me personally on Twitter because <laughs> the moment Clark Lee named AJ Swan, the starter and took away that job from Mike, Wright, He now can never go back to Mike, Wright Playing snaps. He can't put him out in scrub time because he cannot take the risk of Mike, Wright Coming out there and looking phenomenal against their second or third team that cannot happen and throw any type of, of controversy or dissent into that. So that's number one. It's not going to happen. First off, Clark Lee's already made that decision. Secondly, we said it last year. It's the same thing with Ken Seals. I just think A.J. Swan is another level of talent from Ken Seals. No offense to Ken. I think he's going to, to transfer out somewhere after the season and probably, if he chooses, have a pretty good grad career mm-hmm. wherever he goes. But A.J. Swan is going to develop. He's a true freshman into a guy that in the future can allow you to really compete and maybe win some of these games against maybe not Alabama at number two, but against top tier SEC competition, not just stay in the game, not just keep it within 28. That is what Mike Wright is going to allow you to do. He's going to pick up some first downs that otherwise wouldn't be picked up, but he's not going to hit the third and 10 laser comeback route that needs to be hit and put on the dime consistently. That is how Vanderbilt is going to beat these teams that are top tier in the SEC, because that'll lead into my second point, which is the takeaway of why Vanderbilt has to have a quarterback with the ability to throw the ball and push the ball down the field and run this read option style with an actual arm and the ability to push it down the field, not through the run game. That's in my second key point and takeaway. But first key point is shut the hell up. AJ Swan is the quarterback, and in three years, if that is not the right the, the right decision, then just take me off this podcast because AJ <laughs> Swan is legit. He is going to develop into a hell of a quarterback, and nothing about that offensive performance would have changed with any other quarterback on that field. Yeah, so that's the key, key number one for me. And I think even more importantly, Will, you know, he's got to have guys on the outside that can create opportunities for the offense and for themselves and, and you know we, we we've seen that uh with will shepherd this season we've seen it at times with Jaden mcgowan uh we've seen it a couple times with tight ends but you know the tight ends haven't been super active uh with with this offense and that was a point of emphasis coming into the season utilizing those tight ends more so that's another thing to watch but my second key takeaway from this game will 
and as I said, I, I'm more kind of going in the, the mold of you as well, kind of down, down the stretch of this season. Um, you know, we're not even at the halfway point yet, but where they are at right now, here's what we feel like they need to do. Number two for me, that the wide receivers have got to create have got to create more opportunities for themselves. And, and I know it's Alabama, but if Vanderbilt wants to win an SEC game, the wide receivers have to be more aggressive. And, and yes, I'm talking about Will Shepard. And I know Jaden McGowan is a, is a really young kid. He's still learning how to be a true receiver as opposed to just kind of catching the ball on an end around and running, you know, for a first down. But these receivers as a whole, I mean, yes, they got to get healthy. We haven't seen Gamarion Carter uh, much of him. We haven't seen a whole lot of Devin Body the last couple games. Um, but really, Shepard and McGowan, those two guys, I know it's Alabama. I know I, we're talking about this after Alabama, and it's easy to, to look at these types of things and say, oh, here's what they got to do. But I, I still think Shepard could have done more in that Alabama game. There was more out there for him in that Alabama game. I, I know Swan didn't have much time, but you know, I, I feel like Shepard, there's an, there's an extra level. There's, there's an extra there's another step for him to, to achieve, and that's the opportunity out there. For him. So, you know, Roger, wide receivers, tight ends, and I think you can you can throw the running backs in here as well. Help your guy, A.J. Swan, out. Help him out, you know, whether that's being more physical or or going up there and just saying, screw this, I'm making a play. You know, I, I'm making a play over this DB, and, and, and this is towards Shepard, be that alpha. And I know we talked about this last episode, Will, but McGowan also. He's gonna. He's had to learn on the fly all season long. So you know, kind of refining whatever whatever skills he needs to refine to, to be a, a true receiver, receiving threat. Um, and yes, it, it's it's easy, you know, for me to critique uh, the receiving core after a game like Alabama. But I still think, Will, if if this team wants to win an SEC game, there's got to be more aggression from the wide receivers as a whole. Uh, you know, when the ball's up in the air, go make that play. You know, and, and so I think the receivers have to step up but also the tight ends will they need to be more involved um and and the running backs as well out of the backfield you gotta gotta provide you gotta give aj swan everything he needs because the protection is 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 a weakness we we know that so if you can help swan help him out you know go out there and make the play uh for your for your freshman quarterback so help your guy aj swan out uh but more in particular those receivers i think in particular will They've got to step up. They've got to just create more opportunities for the offense if they want to win an SEC game down the stretch. Yeah, that's you're hitting on something kind of in the same position group as my is my key takeaway three. I think maybe just a little bit different perspective, but I'll I'll go ahead and stick with what I had written down as number two, which is really number one, but just had to get number one out of the way. Games are still won and lost in the trenches on the offensive and defensive lines. And Vanderbilt is still far, 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 far away in the trenches from, from really competing against top-tier teams and, and really making it a game. Alabama had five sacks, eight tackles for losses, tackles for loss. Vanderbilt had no sacks, three tackles for loss. One of those was – most of those were good plays on the outside, including one play – that was really good from CJ Taylor and kind of a two on one situation out there, but Vanderbilt's offensive line was exposed. They, they were a little bit thin. They looked tired. They were walking to the line. I think Bruno commented on that Bruno Reagan a few times on Twitter. They just looked defeated and, and I can't really blame them. They are thin. They are undersized compared to Alabama's defensive line. This is not 
anything against it. I mean, they were physically, they were putting everything they had out there, especially those early drives, but eventually you, they just don't have the guys. They don't have the depth on either side of the ball right now. And, and that was exposed against Alabama. And that's something that I think we both expected. That's why our predictions were close to 50 points and why we didn't expect Vanderbilt to break into the twenties. Now I think the line struggled a little bit more than we had hoped because they had mm -hmm. given up, like we said before, no sacks going into this game. But I think that was just a little bit of false hope. I think Wake Forest defensive line is their weakness. Their defense is weak and the rest of the opponents for Vander Vanderbilt have pretty poor defensive lines. So the, the next couple of weeks, maybe not Georgia, but Ole Miss, I think, will be a good litmus test. I think Ole Miss yeah. will be a little more realistic. I think that's a closer a closer gauge of talent level. But comparing Vanderbilt's line in the trenches to Georgia and Alabama is just not a recipe for feeling good for any teams in the country not named maybe Ohio State or Clemson. So that's the part is all of this taken with the caveat of you just watched Vanderbilt's offensive and defensive lines go up against NFL offensive and defensive lines. I mean, I think both sides for Alabama probably have four to five dudes that are going to be drafted in the top two to three rounds, at least on, on that field that, that Vanderbilt faced. So all of this being said, there is optimism and hope moving forward, which I hope uh, will kind of play into my key takeaway number three. Yeah, there, there's recruiting work to be done. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say that, uh, especially in the trenches. And, you know, we, you're right. Yeah, well, the, final, I mean, the we, final stats, I know some of this is calculated differently because it's college and like the sacks against Swan, he had six carries for negative 33 yards. So like that was a fumble recovery, yeah. I believe. So take that's a little skewed, but Vanderbilt had 14 rushing yards versus Alabama had 238 uh, and the five sacks versus zero. So that that tells you everything you needed to know about this game before you even start to break down anything Vanderbilt secondary did or anything Vanderbilt's quarterback did. It's just look at the rushing yardage and look at the sack numbers. And that will tell you everything you need to know about the final score. Yeah. Well, for my last key takeaway here, I'm literally going uh, literally what you said, uh, but the defense in particular, I'm going to kind of you know, single out the defense um, because we, we've talked about this, Will. This defense, they're in the right spots. It, it, they're very well coached defensively. It, it's I think that's even easy to see from a general outside college football fan. I, I think watching the game, if you're an Alabama fan, whether you're at the game or watching that game, yes, you put up 55 points against Vanderbilt, but it's easy to see for for a football guy to say, oh, their defense, they're, they're, they were there to make the play, but they don't have that guy that they need to make that play. They, they don't have the dudes yet, as you just said. Uh, but I'm singling out this defense because down the road, I think the defense is going to be such a strength of this program because once they get these dudes that, that Clark Lee can 100% have confidence in sending out there on the field and, and making plays all game long, as opposed to, yes, you're banged up on the D line right now. You know, there's not enough depth in the secondary. I think linebackers are one spot will we feel good about right now. I mean, yeah, you can use more depth. But the linebacker spot right now, that's, I mean, that's that's not a weak spot of this team. And, and that, I think, is up there in the SEC, at least upper half of the SEC in terms of just dudes. I mean, Anthony Orgy, Kane Patterson, Ethan Barr, even some younger guys back there. So I, I say defense, that yes, this is the whole team that they just need dudes. They need the horses. I know we've talked about that. But I think more importantly, defensively, once they get those guys, once they bring – that the dudes into this defense that 
that can go out there and consistently make plays and are big enough and are strong enough and are fast enough for this 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 Clark Lee unit to be fully confident in themselves. I mean, the sky's the limit, I think, for this this defensive unit. Now, offensively, you know, I think that's a little bit different just because of that's not Clark Lee's pedigree. I know, um, you know, he was he was a fullback, but he's been a defensive coach his whole career. So that that in and of itself will kind of besides not, not even talking really about this Alabama game, but where this team is at, it, it it popped out to me while I was watching the Alabama game and saying, you know, yeah, maybe there are a couple times where they 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 missed a missed a defensive read or were out of position, but the vast majority of the time, these players are in position to make those plays. They just can't physically make them. And, and so I, I think that is that's a next step that I'm excited to watch for, for this program, Will. And, and, you know, we both know that defensively, you know, last year down the stretch, it was a strength. Uh, now they still gave up points. They would give up points, but you saw it. You could visualize what, you know, these guys are in the right spots. Uh, they just need the dudes. And that feels like the, the, the bottom line saying uh, the last couple of years, last three, four years for Vanderbilt football. And, and But defensively, Will, that's what excites me, I think, the most. Once they get those dudes defensively, whew, uh, that that excites me. I think to to watch to see what a defensive product could be. And, and yes, you know, I they need dudes everywhere. But I I particularly saw that in the Alabama game, saying, okay, you know, they're they're a few years away, four years away, you know, maybe even shorter from legitimately competing against uh, you know the top higher tier SEC teams. I think defensively. Yeah, I, I'll change my number three to be a little bit broader because I like I like some of the points you made and, and want to make some comments on them. So I'll, I'll go ahead with my title with my key takeaway number three, and that's going to be the pieces of the puzzle are kind of starting to be there. At least some corner pieces are in place. And I you're think seeing you're the seeing the SEC talent puzzle being put together. There are certain guys on this roster that have SEC talent. Obviously, Orgy is a guy that at that linebacker position that's older on the roster, but is clearly a guy that anyone else in the SEC would love to have on their roster, including Alabama. I truly believe that he is going to be a first, second or third round pick. If he can stay healthy, he's had some injury issues in the shoulder that may prevent him uh, from being drafted as highly, but everything else about orgy is a first round linebacker. Mm -hmm. He is legit. He is the next Vanderbilt linebacker, Chris Marv, Zach Cunningham, go back to Jonathan Goff. So, He's incredibly talented. Patterson, you mentioned Barr. They have an SEC linebacker group as a group. I think moving forward, you'd feel good about that. I think corner pieces as far as youth, McGowan seems to be legit. There was one play in particular. He was hit in the backfield and managed to break two, three, four tackles from Alabama defenders yep. and get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. That counts as no yards uh, in the box score. But that was a play that you see legit SEC players from – Georgia, Texas A&M, these four or five-star guys make. It's just slipping tackles when it looks like that Alabama should have you for a loss of seven. You're able to get back to the line of scrimmage, and that's a huge play. But the main thing is on the receiver group is – I already touched on, the, touched on the trenches. That's where really the main issue is. But you mentioned Shepard. He is going to see over-the-top safety help so heavily against every single SEC team that he sees because they don't have the Chris Boyd to Jordan Matthews. Mm -hmm. They don't have the guy on the outside, on the other side that doesn't allow the single high safety 
or the entire defense to shift over towards his side. You're just not going to have the fade routes there down the field, even if your line is able to protect you, because they're just going to slide the safety over. They're not scared of anybody else on that other side being able to consistently go up and beat one-on-one coverage, even McGowan. Just because of McGowan's size, he's shown he's turnover prone. I don't think any SEC team is going to be afraid of their corner being matched up uh, one-on-one with late safety help or late backer help coming over against McGowan just because they know Vanderbilt's not going to send McGowan over the middle because they don't want to get him killed. So that limits what you're able to do with your slot receiver uh, when you don't want to be sending him over the middle. And Jonathan Krause made a living opening up uh-huh. the outside for Chris Boyd and uh, Jordan Matthews by by taking those tough catches over the middle that aren't glory catches but are 8 to 12 yards that loosen up that outside for guys that, that can make those big plays. So these are the corner pieces that I'm talking about is eventually McGowan is going to get a little bit bigger. He's going to learn the playbook better. They're going to be able to utilize him better, and he's going to be a hell of a playmaker. Right now he's a little bit limited because of size. Shepard is going to look uninvolved and like he's he's just not in the game because you're going to have to scheme ways to get him the ball. That's what they were trying to do. They were putting – Bunch formations, trips formations on one side of the field with Shepard all alone on the single single side, and they were still shifting safety help over to Will Shepard because they know he's the only true offensive weapon on Vanderbilt's roster right now, uh, and that's just the facts of it. Now, they need a, a number two or number three guy to step up as a consistent target for Swan. Is that going to be the tight ends? Bresnahan has been non-existent. I think we both expected him – uh, to kind of have a little bit bigger of the year and a lot more involvement in Schoenwald, I think, has caught more passes than Bresnahan, which is certainly not the role we expected for him. So, so far, we haven't seen it out of the tight ends, which we thought might be able to replace that number two production uh, out of a wide receiver. Quincy Skinner Jr. hasn't been able to stay on the field. And other than that, you have a lot of guys that are pretty unproven. So McGowan is young, but he's a piece. Will Shepard, obviously legit SEC receiver. But you're missing, you're missing that number two guy. You're missing the wide receiver depth. It's the same thing. You have some pieces in place, uh, but but for the most part, right now Vanderbilt is just facing a Jimmy's and Joe's problem, not an X's and O's problem. As much frustration as we want to have with calls and missed face masks, it wouldn't have made a difference in the grand scheme of things. Maybe how it appears on that final scoreboard, but right now it's just Barton Simmons, Clark Lee, just getting the dudes in there uh, and the ability to actually scheme how they want to scheme. Yeah. And well, I think, you know, we talk about getting Jimmy's and Joe's, you know, they, I think we saw it in the Hawaii game. They took that step, you know, that, that we felt like they needed to take. Yes. There's still so much work to be done in terms of, you know, like last year they were, they were in the cellar now, you know, okay. You're, you're at the basement. Now you're at that bottom. Now let's take that next step. Maybe that's later this year. Maybe that's next year, you know, but you got, you have to stack recruiting classes that that's, you know, anyone saying, oh, you know, this year, that's that's the year to see it, to, to visualize it. It's like, no, it, you need to stack. You have to, you know, wait two, three, maybe even four years to really see uh, what what Clark Lee has uh, in this vision. So um, that's the three key takeaways. Um, well, I want to real quick before we end, I know it's a shorter episode. I want to kind of project out towards this season, the end of this season. Uh, I know I say end of the season, it's not even, you know, we're not even at the halfway point yet, but down the stretch of this season, SEC play is here. You know, I think for me, Will, this team, we, we know what we know about this team. Alabama didn't change anything for me. You know, I wasn't surprised by what I saw. Um, yes, I, you know, I saw some small things that, 
you know, I think down the road could they, this team could learn from, and maybe that helps them get an SEC win down the road. But a couple things for me while watching this team, you know, they've got to find ways in the secondary to to hide those weaknesses. I know they don't have the Jimmys and Joes, but if you do want to beat a Missouri who has a pretty good passing attack with Brady Cook and Luther Burden uh, at Mizzou, South Carolina with Spencer Rattler, those are not pushovers in terms of passing, you know, passing production. So I don't know what it is, Will. I don't know what it is, but – and this is, this is again, why I, I don't envy Clark Lee right now. But whatever you have to do right now to limit those – just those chunk plays, those 60, 70, 80-yard plays offensively where it just kills you. It, 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 it murders any sort of offensive momentum that you have because – the same offense you're facing is doing the same exact thing. So that's what I'll say firstly, Will, is defensively they, they've got to get so creative this year because they don't have the Jimmys and Joes yet. And and I think down the road this seems odd. They're, the staff, they're not going to have to get as creative as they are getting this year. The staff is probably learning new ways how to, how to, how to coach football with the talent they have. So I'll say that, Will, defensively. And remember they were, missing, they were missing McGowan as well in this game which doesn't help so oh, they missed mahoney. They, they they haven't had mahoney good yeah, god yeah. yeah mahoney they were missing mahoney in that right. in that defensive backfield for the second half of that niu game and yeah. this alabama game so i'm sure Which that happened. limited some things yeah. in the secondary and already very thin and inexperienced secondary missing their most experienced and probably best coverage yeah. guy in, in the whole group I will that was say a part that wasn't we did we did not talk about that enough going into no. the game that's one thing we didn't talk about enough. Uh, yeah, Mahoney. That's a pretty. We pretty like casually big... mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh, that's yeah. a pretty big deal." <laughs> pretty big blow. So yeah. Mahoney, that's huge. If he can go against Ole Miss, that'll be huge. If not, though, you, you're going to need him against either Missouri or South Carolina or any of those games down the stretch if you want to have a shot. Well, you um, need to get pressure. I mean, how how often did you see Bryce Young just standing in there and being able to just take his pick, third, fourth read, and in, into whatever? pass play they were running it's going to be tough for any secondary to yeah, cover I'm, when that, when you're unable to get pressure and that's that's the part this defensive line at some point has to make the quarterback uncomfortable we always talk about the quarterbacks not missing throws against Vanderbilt compared to other other games you watch well that's the they're difference comfortable. Is, is they're, they're comfortable in the pocket they're not getting hit they don't have people coming at them constantly in every place so finding a way to get pressure and to limit the big plays it's going to probably not limit the big plays, but it's going to limit the little plays. You just have to be aggressive. And you know your secondary cannot cover for, for more than two two seconds in, in the pocket. You just have to send it. And, and if teams you're, make big plays repeatedly, at least you're not going to tire out your line. And yeah. that's the main problem right now is you're doing neither. You're playing for more of a soft zone coverage, and they're picking up 8 to 14 yards at a time. And while also scoring relatively quickly, you're also adding up the plays and snaps for your defensive line and backers and getting them tired so they wear down throughout the game. So either give up the big plays or don't. Either send pressure or don't. The soft coverage and everything, I get it. I know why you have to do it, but cut it out. You, you've just got to be aggressive. I know you're going to get beat. We all know that that the Vanderbilt secondary is not going to be able to play one-on-one consistently against these elite offenses and elite receivers. But at a certain point, you just have to say, we, we've, I would rather die by one giant blow than by a thousand small cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Make it a little bit easier on the fans watching. Uh, but no, well, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you're going to have to have some YOLO in you defensively for Vanderbilt. It, 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 Howell, Coach Lee, I mean, 
I think that's what you're going to – I think they know that. I think you're going to have to do that to, to pick off somebody down the stretch in the SEC this year. I thought it was interesting, though, too, Will. We saw freshmen consistently playing in that second half. I mean, you saw Jeffrey Hugo in there, Steven Senny and Eola, of course, Darren Agu. Uh, Iso Taha played a lot more. I mean, we saw him, that big body. He was the one guy that I think looked like physically could match up uh, with Alabama. Just was where that number is. nine? Nah, so, no, number nine was Christian James. I heard Christian James had his jersey ripped, and so they gave him Davion Davis's number nine Yeah, jersey. because they, so, they had that listed on ESPN as they still have it recorded as Davis's tackles. So I was like, that was not Davion <laughs> Davis, yeah, unless so I, I am I, really, really wrong about this roster. I had to do a double take on the no, box I, score I, afterwards because I, like, I must have missed something pretty big. I saw a lot of questions on Twitter about who is number nine. Who yeah, is people were tagging? I think somebody tagged me in a tweet that was like, "Who is number nine? And I was, "You like, were like, I don't know." <laughs> but no, well, but so I don't want to give, give the wrong answer. Yeah, so I figured it out. I knew it was Christian James's body, but I was trying to figure out what happened. So I think um, somebody told me that that it was it was Davion Davis. It's like the single. It's like James. the single digit running back. Like numbers make the player look better. Than, yeah, than yeah. they did in like number 42. <laughs> it's the same thing with James and number nine, the single digit. It's like, oh, who's that? The number. He just he just looks like a monster. He looks like a physical <laughs> specimen because he's in the single digit number. Then he needs more single digits. He's got to give all the yes. linemen single yes. digits. Yes. <laughs> but no, Will, yes. uh, obviously we knew this was going to be a shorter episode. Um, I know it's I know Ole Miss is coming up in two weeks, but I think Vanderbilt, I know Ole Miss has a great passing attack, but they lost Matt Corral. There's no more Matt Corral walking through that door. And Jackson Dart, I, I know they put up 42 against Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech just fired their coach. So I, I don't know that that's – and they, they they beat Tulsa by seven. So. Ole Miss is definitely more human yes. than Georgia or Alabama. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to put it. Vanderbilt has more of a more of a chance. And, I, you know, I don't – we're not going at predictions yet or anything, but I think Vanderbilt matches up a lot better. And then, I mean, it's obvious saying that, but well, real quick here, what, uh, what kind of early line do you think we could see Vandy and Ole Miss here in a couple of weeks? Man, that's a tough one. I think Mr. the over under, the, the over under on that game is going to be high. I, I think that that's going to be close to seven. optional. I would guess. I think that probably after the performance Ole Miss had, I would say like 28 and a half. I would I would say right around that four touchdown 28 29 this is a guess I don't know if there's anything out there yet yeah well uh, and you gotta see away, you gotta but... wait till the Kentucky game too on Saturday because mm-hmm. they face Kentucky at home so that's gonna be a big part of it I that's think. gonna but... shade the line because I don't yeah. think Vegas knows what to do with Ole Miss I, no. I think they've had some they've been around 20 I think they were like 22 and a half point favorites the last couple of weeks against yeah. their opponents they're, which they're is favored like the, by that is the that's the Kentucky. ultimate yeah, the 22-and-a-half-point line against against the teams like Georgia Tech is like the ultimate. We have no idea what this yep. team is or yep. how they're going to play because that's a very safe spot. Like you, Because people look at that line, it's a little too much no for people line. to feel comfortable. Yeah, it's that 22-point line. So that is usually Vegas's ultimate, like, we don't know kind of spot so <laughs> and that means you don't i play. would guess Van, i would guess take whatever the we don't know and when vanderbilt's playing add a touchdown to that and that's usually where i come up with that 28 29 point line yeah i would say lowest 20 you know three touchdowns but highest i think it could get the 30s uh, you know i think well, especially if uh, kentucky, kentucky i mean NI, niu played kentucky yeah. very very they beat tough them, beat them in that by game. 10 yeah i think it was 10 it 10 was point close margin, yeah. i think so 
NIU is a better team than I think a lot of the outsiders were saying after Vanderbilt beat them. Um, and, and, you know, someday, someday Vanderbilt will get credit for, for holding off NIU and beating them from, from the, the rest of the country. But That was an incredible second-half performance. I, I oh, think I that mean, taking it, a step back, I, it, you always root for the teams. Like, I was rooting pretty heavily for Wake Forest to beat Clemson because it always makes your game look a little better. Uh, Hawaii no has not been what, easy to root for. But NIU playing Kentucky down to the wire, I think, even casual and, week and before. SEC football fans, they will notice that. That's something that you look at Vanderbilt's record, they got their butt kicked by Alabama. But Vanderbilt is 3-2 and two with two of their losses being to top 20 opponents. That's that's yeah. not a bad – they the don't key, have anything you would consider a bad loss. I mean, yeah, you you got your butt kicked by Bama. So what, man? That's, what's the difference? That's, Whatever. That's the key phrase. You got your butt kicked by Bama. There's going to be a whole lot of other teams that say that at, at the end of this year. I mean, 2016 I, was a was a good team for Vanderbilt. 2011 was a good team for Vanderbilt. Both of them got their ass kicked by Alabama. Yeah. I mean, that's just it, Alabama is Alabama. They've kicked a lot of teams' asses that have gone on. They have yep. kicked teams' asses in the national championship. They've been, Notre Dame but yeah. there are plenty of times that has happened Ohio State that is that is what they do that is a different level of talent and unfortunately in the week after Ole Miss you play another team that has that same different level of talent same that you're basically DNA. playing a low a low tier professional football team like you're playing <laughs> you're playing a team that would probably I don't know what I don't want to put any hate on it Bruno might disagree if he if he ever listens to this I would be curious to see like his thoughts on Alabama versus Birmingham, pretty good. The, the Birmingham, yeah, Stallions. the Birmingham squad. Is it the squadron? Is it the Birmingham I, squadron? Well, it's the Birmingham Stallions, but I forgot what team Bruno's on. <laughs> yeah, whatever his team. I would be curious because he's played against both, so like yeah. he would probably be the guy to know. I may, I may tweet at him and see what he says. But those, those Alabama and Georgia teams, if they would compete or win, or how they would do in, in that competition and that's, level. But yeah, and I that's, think they would do pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. I, I and I, that's what we said. You know, we'll come into this game. This this is Alabama and this is Georgia. These these preview pods, they're, they're not going to be, you know, this is not going to shape. We're not going to let this one game or this, you know, this two games let us shape how we what we think about this team this year. But it's interesting, though. You get the open date. You get two weeks to prepare for a home game at three o'clock against Ole Miss. So that's coming up in two weeks. And uh, and then Vanderbilt goes. Uh, do they go to Athens? I think they go to Athens um, to to play Georgia. I always forget. Yeah, because yes. Yeah. Okay, so they do go to. It's the game last year. Yes, I, I got yeah. to I got to see that in person. So yeah, I won't yeah. forget that. That was good fun. for you. Good so, for I you. mean, they did have they did have the score against Bama, fifty five to three. I felt like a real fifty five to three, like what we said, like shooting a yeah. real yeah a real one fifteen or one twenty, a real one twenty out on the golf course. Is it good? No. Yeah, I mean, you shot plus 40, plus 50, but you but really real. shot it. Like, you you really tapped in a couple pars. You maybe knocked in one birdie. You had a few quadruple bogeys. It happens, a few triple bogeys. But you shot a real 110, 115. And so that is, that's a step forward. Do it maybe with a little more offensive production against Georgia. The expectations against Ole Miss, especially after seeing them the early part of the season, are a little bit higher. And, and those expectations are not just going to be don't get your butt absolutely kicked up and down the field. The expectations for Ole Miss, I want to see some things. I want to see some improvement. I want to see some scheme, uh, things that they do to stop that unique offense out of Lane Kiffin and the Lane train rolling in. So that that preview, I think, will be a little more interesting to people and, and maybe a few more will tune in than to the Alabama preview or the Alabama recap because I don't blame you. 
if you haven't sat here and listened to us recap a 55 to three game here for uh, for Vanderbilt versus Alabama. I, I get it. And I think we, you get it too, Billy. Yeah, we get it. Relax. We, we get it. But real quick, Will, before we end it, We're not shout, out, shout out, shout out to Joe Bolivis. He went back to T-Town and hit a field goal to make it, to not let Vanderbilt get shut out 55 to three. So shout out, got to give a shout out to big leg Joe. Uh, I think, was that his second of the year, Will? Second field goal of the year? I think it was. Um, so I think, you know, we said, we talked about it. He had hit one uh, already in the year before Alabama. So second one of the year. Well, we post- both predicted him to get at least one field goal. Yes, we did. It's just yes, we, did. We, expected, we expected the offense to do something. Yeah. And uh, I do want to say, oh, and there was one play, number 13. I always, the name DJ it just Taylor. always slips my mind. Yes, he had yeah. one bounce off his hands. I think it was C.J. Taylor. He made some really good plays, but that soft coverage they were playing had him faded into, and that would that is the pick six, and this is where the little things. So this is the tiny little things, like when they played Alabama in 2016, people call me crazy, but that ball bouncing off of Jared Pinckney's hands, I can still see it for an Alabama interception. It, it's things early will change the entire feeling of the game. It's the Mike Wright pick against Wake Forest. It's that. So there there are just small little parts of the game. If he takes that back, picks it off, it doesn't bounce off his hands. It's 10 to 7. Vanderbilt's kicking off and and the whole momentum of the game is different. So, but that was the frustrating part. I wanted to get this in. I didn't say it earlier, but the frustration of fans, which I get it. I want to see more aggression. But Clark Lee and that defensive staff, they baited Bryce Young into doing what they wanted him to do early. He got comfortable against the soft coverage, and you had the underneath guy cut that out out route or stop route Mm -hmm. off that would have been up the sideline for six. I mean, you cannot bait a Heisman quarterback and Nick Saban more into what Vanderbilt was able to do. And you saw it on their faces that it's like, we did it. And we got the shot to take the lead against Alabama with the pick six and just couldn't haul it in. So it wouldn't have made a difference in, in the grand scheme of things and the outcome of the game. But those are the little things that just kind of shape the course of the game that, that I think would be viewed just a little bit differently. Could you have imagined pick six, Vandy takes a 10-7 lead in the first quarter? Oh, The rest of the SEC, nice. they would have been shaking in their boots after that. The eyes would have opened. Well, maybe a, not, a, not the worst thing, because I think maybe more people would have turned it on and started watching, <laughs> and then Alabama would have been pissed off because they were sleepwalking early in that game. Yeah, they I, looked... I don't really know how that would have gone. They, yeah, they looked pretty disinterested early. Yeah. But uh, Dericky Wright also, that dude was flying he, around. He 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 definitely hits. stood out as well. Yeah. You've been listening to episode 182 of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.